we're all advocates. We're the backbone. We're the backbone of the nation. Show the rest of the world who aren't farmers what it is. What's it, what's it like on a farm? You know, what we do every day. We're feeding the world. It creates a healthy community. So, you know, eat local, buy local, support your local farmers. Welcome back to another episode of The Advocates. In today's episode, Daniel and Wade are joined by Boone Miller from Hedrick, Oklahoma. Boone currently farms with his dad and brother in southwest Oklahoma, where they grow cotton and raise cattle. Boone, how are things in southwest Oklahoma tonight? They're uh, wet. We're on a little plant delay. Um, Got a little cotton planted and waiting for it to dry up again, get back in the field. Dan, how you doing? It must be nice to have wet fields. Uh, things are good, Wade. We're getting geared up to uh, cut some wheat here within a week and a half. I'm, I'm excited for that. Kind of a weird, weird time to cut wheat. Usually, it's July when we really get rolling, but it's going to be first or second week of June. Kind of weird, but uh, things are good. What about you, Wade? Well, as of as of right now, we, my wife and I, made the move east. Um, so the Advocate South headquarters now in Granbury instead of Dublin, and, and things are good. Um, Boone, thanks for, yeah. hop, thanks for hopping on the show with us today. Why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's Boone Miller. I um, live in southwest Oklahoma down here and uh, farm cotton and run some cow-calf operation um, with my brother and dad. We're, uh, used to grow some wheat and alfalfa and some other crops, some of the way commodity prices went. We just kind of shift our gears over to cotton and cattle basically um that's kind of where we're at now right on so boone i've I've known you for quite a while now i I say that at least over social media yeah yeah. uh tell us a little about growing up on the farm and uh how you came to to be where you're at now man i you know i started uh loving farming at an early age um I, I guess I had a, a drive in me to want to drive a tractor because my dad let me start driving a tractor when I was six. Um, I think he pretty much turned me loose that summer, and I was out there by myself, you know, following my granddad around or my uncle. Back when we plowed everything, we plowed around around circles, and you know, six year old little kid out there bouncing around in a in a case I H Magnum tractor. Um, you know, that's kind of where I got my roots started watching a, this growing wheat back then and uh you know working with my granddad and brother and dad and we just kind of did it all together back then so 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 you're telling me that y'all used to run red equipment back in the day huh <laughs> yeah back in the day and honestly you know red red equipment was around but before that uh my granddad was a big echo guy he they grew up you know on the old acs and the the 180s and the D21s and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. then they had 80, 80 30s, 80 50s. And then the red, red equipment came around after that. So my, my, my first tractor I ever drove was a 7140 Magnum. Heck yeah. That's that's awesome. So uh, tell us a bit about your, your family's background in agriculture. Your grandpa definitely has some roots there, I'm assuming. Uh, tell us a little yeah. about that. Yeah, my grandpa was a, you know, he his his cream of the crop is, you know, cotton. That's what he liked to grow, and um, he he from what I've been told, he was one of the better cotton farmers around his day and age for dry land. Where you know we're we're mostly dry land farm, and 
my uh, his parents um, were here, and they started farming to, together, and that's kind of where our roots got started. And, well, I'm just curious about uh, growing up. I mean, you've got some definitely generations generational farm there, don't you? you? At least four. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you know, it. Uh, my granddad. I think he moved here. I can't remember what year it was, or he grew up here. My great granddad moved here, and then uh, mm-hmm. they kind of got droughty, and they moved. Uh, they moved up north about eighty miles and tried farming up there, and then moved back down here. Um, so he, he kind of hopped around for a few years in there and kind of got his roots in here and kind of farm just, you know, a little farm close to, mm-hmm. close to the house and didn't stretch out too far. Um, my, my dad, you know, he graduated, uh, high school and he, uh, he worked in the farm and he worked for a dealership selling equipment and whatnot and did some other odds and ends and finally came back and kind of stuck with the farming and, uh, with his brother and my granddad and uh, me and my, my brother kind of followed along and joined the farm later on. Um, my uh, my dad and uncle kind of split their their farms along in the 2000, early 2000 area. Um, uh-huh. And uh, I graduated high school in 2006 and my brother graduated the year after me and uh, the farms kind of grow steadily ever since then. Um, we've kind of spread out a little bit, taking on new ground and uh, trying to do the best we can and do the best for our landlords. You know, just uh, mm-hmm. try to make try to do as good you know as good a job as we can, taking care of the ground and make the landlord as much money as we can. You know, um, yeah. We we rent, we rent a lot of our ground on the crop rent, so that you know they get a portion of what we produce and uh mm-hmm. it takes a uh, good relationships and we got a lot of good landlords to deal with on that side of it so. heck yeah so so you kind of tippy toed around it but tell us about your farm as of right now uh what do y'all grow and what do you have as equipment on the farm you know all the good stuff that uh any normal farmer wants to hear yeah yeah you know we're uh, we're basically all cotton right now we don't uh we we've planted a little bit of corn this year just to kind of test the water waters or something with corn growing around here at all to speak of. But um, they work cotton works better for us for what we can, you know, pencil on paper and try to make a profit or at least try to get by to come out of the prices like they are. And we're in some uh, cow calf operation. We got about I think two hundred and seventy five ish mama cows and uh, do that. We don't really run any stalkers. Um, we're just uh, basically a cotton and cattle farm. We got all John Deere equipment for the most part. You know, we got anything from a a forty twenty all the way up to a couple eighty four hundred dollars. Um, we uh, we try to we try to no till all of our cover in behind our cotton. We we got a couple eighteen nineties. We plant wheat and other cereal grains for for cover. And, um, you know, we spray it all, kill it. And, uh, plant our cotton in behind it and try to you know conserve as much moisture as we can and try to disturb the ground the least possible um you know i was digging around today and some cotton where we planted and we're starting to get a lot of earthworm activity you can i couldn't hardly dig in a trench and not find you know an earthworm about every two inches it was just uh unbelievable wow. compared to what it used to be um but we're that's our direction we're just you know try to do it the best 
best way to for the land for for us, you know. Um, you know, we try to work with our neighbors and, you know, with the dicamba and the 2,4-D tolerant cottons and all this and stuff. We, uh, luckily, we got good neighbors everywhere. This county as a whole is a really uh, good farming community. Um, there's a lot of really good producers around. Um, but uh, it uh, makes for, you know, competitive, you know, good farming next to you makes you competitive to try to do as good. So it's a, it's not really the dog-eat-dog, dog, but it, it makes for better farmers anyways. Right on, right on. I love it, Boone. You mentioned uh, that y'all, y'all, over the last decade or so, y'all's farm has grown in size, and y'all got great relationships with your landlords. Um, how? Wh- why was the decision made to to scale up um, to the size of operation y'all have today? You know, um, it's just where we're at. We're not uh, the county this area just it produces good cotton but for the, to try to feed three families out of it we just felt like we needed to grow more you know to kind of you know get each one of us uh enough to sustain our livelihoods on and uh you know it kind of we had our we had a number in mind where we wanted to get to and kind of slow down and we kind of we reached it and uh you know i could see us scaling back in a few years maybe just to kind of farm a little closer um you know i think we're in that 50 55 mile range or somewhere in there from end to end of our farm so we're kind of spread out in some areas and uh you know we we don't want to get too far spread out we can't do a good job but you know it's hard to it's also hard to turn down land too so um but Uh main thing we, we scaled up just to you know be able to support three families out of it um so we could all farm and not have to try to hate make you know have side jobs here and there to make ends meet and uh that's uh that's the direction we headed so. you you said that the farming there's pretty competitive uh in that in that general area of oklahoma was that did that make it difficult to to get a hold of some other land or is there is there lots of land out there for those that want to farm it no it, it you know um there's not just an abundance of land in this area um you know there's there's a pocket of pretty good land in here. It it made it tougher, you know, as a as a kid graduating high school. You know, you kind of you kind of feel like you was never going to get to where you wanted to be. And you know, it really took ten years um, from when I graduated to get to get to where I didn't at one time didn't think was a possibility to get to. You know, um, it's a it took a lot of just time and patience. You know, perseverance and just. Uh, put your nose in the grindstone and do the best job you can and take care of the stuff you need to take care of and your, you know, uh, landowners know this and, you know, it, it just, just finally all works out in the end. If you just take care of business is what we've kind of figured out. And, uh, um, you know, you can, you can try to do all, all the things you think you, sh- you should be doing to rent land. And sometimes it don't work out. And, uh, the best thing we know to do is just take care of what we got. And if we can't take care of what we got, we don't expect anybody else to give us any more. Mm-hmm. I like it. You know, around here, there's there's some farmers that it's it's dog eat dog, and if if I can call your landlord and say I'll pay a little bit more, uh, we're we're gonna do it, and hopefully the landlord uh, likes money more than they do relationships. But mostly overall in this area, it's it's uh, you know your landlord is good relationship with you, and it's uh, it's it's more neighborly for the most part, and that's what I like about farming around this area at least is there's just a little more uh friendliness to it but 
the same time, you know, it's competition and, uh, you got, you got to make sure your wallet's got enough to be able to feed, feed family, you know? And so it's always interesting to hear about other farmers in different regions and how they're able to acquire and, and, and lease so much land. Cause I'm assuming y'all are pretty good spread and, and that's, that's amazing. Cause that's, uh, that's where I'd like to be someday as a farmer as myself. Uh, then moving on, uh, what, what's your role? What's your role on the farm? You know, um, me and my brother and dad all farm somewhat together, um, but we each have our own entities. So, um, you know, I'm like head operator of my entity. I make decisions on what I'm going to do, but, um, you know, I, we make decisions, you know, we, uh, get bank loans individually. Um, we do all that stuff. And, uh, but we kind of, you know, as far as what we're going to plant and whatnot, you know, we kind of all agree. We're kind of all in the same mindset as far as that goes. So it's, it makes that pretty easy. And, uh, you know, I guess with three of us, if we, we have to vote, it's a, it's a two to three vote one way or the other. Somebody disagrees. So it makes it, makes it easier to figure out what we're going to do. Um, but you know, while we run equipment, we got a few hired hands, but, uh, you know, we, we typically try to run all the equipment we can ourselves because not only do we enjoy it, we want it to be done right the first time. And, uh, nobody cares about taking care and doing what you want done more than you do. Uh, I haven't found anybody that, you know, cares probably as much about doing stuff right the first time as, you know, the guy who owns the stuff, you know? Uh, yeah. But we, you know, we, we harvest our own crops. We don't really hire out any custom work to speak of. Um, we, when we grew wheat, we cut our own wheat, we plant our own, you know, plant our own cotton, cut our own, or strip our own cotton. Uh, we run strippers, we ran pickers and uh, kind of go back and forth on dry land. The, the strippers really are better fit for us. Um, but now, for, for those who don't understand, like, the difference between a picker and a, and a stripper, we're not talking about something that somebody might go to on a Saturday night. Now, we're, we're talking about farm equipment. Uh, Glenn, would you explain the difference between a, a cotton picker and a cotton stripper? Yeah. Um, you know, a cotton picker does most of its, um, uh, it does all of the, all of the separation in the head. It's got a, uh, it's got spindles in there that turn, um, and it's got a dolphin that spins it off of it and it blows it up the air chute and blows it into the, the accumulator. Um, whereas a stripper has like bats and brushes in the header and it, uh, spits it off and puts it up into an extractor and the extractor has saws in it and gets some of the cotton, you know, cotton out and separates it from the trash, kind of more like a combine would. Um, but you still, you still get more trash with the stripper than you do a picker. Um, a picker really, you need to be in that two, two and a half bell cottoning up, um, to make one of those work. They're just they're a little slower harvesting machines or six rows as wide as you can get them. And you can get an eight row stripper and you can run a little faster with the stripper. Um, it just makes more mm -hmm. sense for our dry land where we don't produce two, two plus bells every year. You know, we're, we're, we're in that bell, bell and a half range typically. Um, right. And it just makes more sense for us. So. Right on. I, I was just curious cause I knew that somebody listening might thinking what in the world are we talking about here on the <laughs> I have kids podcast, but you know, you never know. People don't uh, spend a lot of time around, equipment sometimes and you never know what you're talking about and so uh, yeah. i appreciate that um tell us about the challenges you got i mean you're in oklahoma uh you got uh is that pretty sandy country 
to be farming. You know, in? we farm we farm a lot of different sand or soils here. We have anything from sure enough sugar blow sand to red clay. We really don't have none of the black dirt like you see up north. Um, we kind of get hmm. got the loamier sand. Um, you know, most of our stuff will blow if you get it slicked off and clean. Um, we you know we know what a rotary hoe is, a sand fighter. Um, uh-huh. So we are. Uh, our, our, I'd say most of our soils in that loamy, loamy sand somewhere in there. Um, I'm not, you know, we the actual type of soil. We, there's a lot of different. I can't remember. Well, I have some some farms have 11 different types of soil on it from one side to the other, and uh, kind of right. makes for a challenge on as far as that. You know, um, we do we do a bunch of variable rate. You know, we put out lime and variable rate some fertilizers uh, to help compensate for the soil being so different from one and the other on some of them fields and there's some of them fields you know have 95 percent of the whole fields one one type of soil and the other five percent is different but uh for the most part most of them vary from one and the other quite a bit mm-hmm. but uh you know, makes- it's kind of you know certain areas carry you know like in the around our barn most of that's kind of a lonelier sand and it's a it's really good soil and uh we that further south farms kind of have a red loamier sand you know it looks like a red clay from a distance but it's it's sand when you get up to it uh, it's a it's pretty productive ground too so mm-hmm. so moving back i mean we, we've run into the same issue you were you're talking about finding uh, uh hired hands that respect the equipment i mean some people don't realize how just darn expensive any piece of equipment is on on any farm really when you come down to it on uh, your investments. Uh, how how difficult is it to find somebody uh, that that understands what you want out of uh, each hour that they spend on your piece of equipment and how the field might look afterwards? Because Brent, I'll tell you right now, I'm picky about people uh, plowing any fields. They, it has to be so clean you don't want to see any tire tracks, or at least I don't. And I'm I'm pretty picky about that, and I'm assuming you've got something of the same sort. Uh, tell us about the challenges there. You know, um, we don't have to plow as much. So I, you know, that that is one thing we'd have to worry about. And uh, you know, it, it's been a real challenge to keep good hired hands. Um, you know, we try to pay good. It just uh, it's just really hard to keep people that you know under. You know, there's a bunch of people want to show up and get a check and. Uh, it's hard to find people that actually put some heart and soul into it and care about what they're doing. Mm. And, you know, with the no, no-till side of it, it gives us the opportunity to do, you know, we run the sprayers ourselves. We, uh, you know, we, we, we try to run, you know, we got four planters and, uh, me and my brother run two of them. And we, my dad's running one. And then, uh, we got, a uh, one hired hand on the other one, but he stays under one of our wings all the time. And, uh, most of the field work that gets done, you know, is done by, me, my brother, or dad, and uh, we just uh, we're pretty picky about what gets done. But the, you know the help side of it, we've tried we've tried just local help, and I'm about ready to try some H2A uh, workers. I've heard people have good luck with them. I've heard people complain about them too. But um, it's just it's just hard to find somebody that cares about yourself as much as you do to do stuff the way you want it done. So and uh, no till I'm sure makes it a lot easier to cover more acres by yourself um and uh do the chemicals you know it's uh some people hear chemicals and think you're polluting their area and putting everything else you know we run we run drift retardants we run 
airing back to tips to where we don't have as much drift and smaller particles to where they don't float. And, uh, you know, we try to be good stewards and uh, take care of our neighbor. You know, we've, we've had, we're not, that, not that we haven't had accidents, um, uh-huh. but we always, if we, if we have accidents, we always, you know, call them and talk to them and make it right too. So, um, uh-huh. but it, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's very, very difficult to find a operator to put on a spur because it's just the liability of it's just so much higher than, you know, plowing. You plow, you can get to a fence, you spray, you can kill somebody's trees all around the house, you know. Um, oh, yeah. See, I, I don't like running our spray on the farm for that very reason because th- we do have some cotton in this general area, and I just don't want to foot the bill of wiping out Joe uh, Smith's cotton. You know, it's just it's not worth it. So I always let let Dad do it. To be honest, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you touched on it, and it's something that I have enjoyed watching you do for the past winter. Uh, a while back, y'all bought a DB90. For those who don't yeah. know what that is, that's a uh, that's a planter that's that's 90 foot wide. It's uh, mainly built for 30 30 inch spacing rows. And Boone, you you built onto the sucker, and you made it like a, I think you said 107 foot planter. Uh, yeah. yeah. Tell us what what your thought process was on buying a mad massive planter like that, and then adding more stuff to it well the first the first and biggest reason is you can buy a new planter i don't know if they'll make a 32 i know they'll make a 24 row on 40 inch spacing but they're those new john Deere planters are really expensive and uh we wanted to do a little cheaper but you know me and my brother drove out i think that planter was at dimmit or dow hart i can't remember where it was it was at western equipment and uh we drove out there and looked at it, took a tape measure, and really didn't have a clue what we were looking at when we got there. Didn't hardly even know how to unfold it when we got out there. We got it unfolded just to hmm. measure, um, and kind of we just looking at it, we kind of agreed we we thought we could make it work, and uh, so that was kind of a, our big winter project. So we brought it back there and finally got started on it after uh, cotton harvest got over with, and uh, it was a 36 row 30, and we made it into a 32 row 40, and. Uh, we had to build some brackets to move some units around, like brace points and whatnot. Um, Bauer was really good to work with. They sent us uh, a new axle to put underneath it to get it to space from, you know, when it was on 30s, the centers of your axles on 60 and 120, and we had to go to 80 and 160 to straddle our rows. So, they, so we got an axle and got some little stub extensions, but we had a – we had a guy at Wichita Falls we drove up some templates and uh, sat down there to make the wing fold and uh, the hinges and uh, had them cut out down there and we had we chopped the bar off um, 14 inches on the end of the bar to get it to where mainly where we could clear when we turned because y'all guys on 30s when you got your duels on you're not nearly as wide and uh, uh-huh. with the tractor on 80 and 160, when we went to turn, we was going to get into the end of the bar when we were folded up going down the road. So as long as that thing is, you really need to be able to turn sharp to make a corner. It's been a, it's, it's a lot harder to get around with than a, like a 53 foot trailer on a semi. It's a, it's equally as bad. Um, so we, it was a big project, and uh, you know we had Ag Express making some harnesses to extend it to hook it up. And, 
honestly, I think we're probably going to end up doing another one. Um, it was kind of nerve-wracking really? to make sure that we did everything right to get it to run in the field. First day we got it to run, it was kind of a relief to see everything work like it was supposed to. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it was uh, it was kind of a it was a fun project, but it was nerve-wracking as well for you know trying to make sure we did everything right. It was uh, right. probably the biggest project project I've ever been on as far as redoing a piece of machinery, anyways. Right. Well, it sounds like a lot of fabricating there, and I, I don't know if I'm smart enough to be able to figure out all that stuff. So that that's pretty interesting. I've I've loved watching you do it. Now, excuse me, y'all run three three-point planters and then that DB90, right? Yeah, yeah. We run three. We got three 16-row, uh, 40-inch spaced, uh, 1720 John Deere planters that we've uh, they've got the precision planting hydraulic down force and V-drive. They're high-tech old planters. They're like 2008, I think, is the newest one we have. Mm-hmm. But they're uh, we've updated them, and they're, they're really nice planters. Um, and uh, they work real well for us. We just wanted to be able to get it done just a little quicker and uh, do it with less labor. Yeah. Um, that way, that's the reason we're thinking about doing another one where we can, you know, run two of them. Me and my brother can plant basically all the cotton and keep one of those 16 rows around just to kind of touch up on the smaller fields. Um, that's just mm-hmm. our uh, our fields are, we, I think our field average size is around 100 acres. But we have, I think our smallest fields probably, I think we have some like five and six acre fields and spots. You know, we don't have a whole lot mm-hmm. of them, but uh, 100 yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. That's uh that's an interesting tool and, and for the listeners, uh you gotta go follow Boone. I mean, he's on Instagram, he's got he's got a few pictures of it and it, it's an amazing piece of equipment. One of these days I'd I'd really like to come up and see it. Dan, you mentioned that you'd have to go up to see Boone, but Boone actually lives about a hundred miles south of you, um, in in Oklahoma. <laughs> um, <laughs> Boone, you you're you're active there on social media. Um, Dan was Dan was trying to mention that y'all you do you post some cool stuff. You share what y'all do on the farm. Uh, when did you start sharing your your ag story on social media? You know, I've had social media for a long time, and I've po- I've always posted a little bit of ag here and there. Um, I'm seem to be trying to do it a little more lately just uh people like it you know um people like seeing what's going on i really enjoyed seeing what other people do in other parts of the country you know from uh you know the guys up north planting corn fighting the water you know trying to you know mud it in to people out in west texas right now can't get a rain to get your cotton planted you know it's just everybody's fighting the battle it's uh kind of nice to see you're not alone in that kind of standpoint um so you get the good and bad from Instagram. You can see everybody's cool machinery. Um, it's uh, it's cool to interact with all these other farmers and you know just see what everybody else is doing. Um, you know, we I post on Instagram some. Uh, I post I think I post more stories than I post pictures. Uh, I I had a had a bad habit remember to take a picture to post or something. I take a video or something put it on my story. Um, uh, we, uh, my mom kind of runs a Facebook page over there at Miller Family Farms um, on Facebook, which we don't post as much there as we probably should either, but it's over there. Uh, it's kind of a 
kind of just I use more social media to interact with other farmers and uh, see what's going on in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you, you see so many different things. It's it's kind of cool to be able to connect with farmers across the world, honestly, uh, through social media, and you just you get to you get to have some fun at somebody getting stuck up north, and then I'm sitting here with. I think it's been at least a month and a half since we've had a, a actual solid uh, rain worth anything speaking of. And so it's difficult, but at the same time, it, it helps you see that, you know, not, not everything's so bad and you may have it bad, but there's always someone who's got it worse. What's, what's the value of social media to you? I know you're not very active on it. Uh, you, you don't really do a whole lot in it other than just, a uh, few pictures and stories every now and then, which is totally fine. But you see uh, the farm being able to use that to an advantage somehow. You know, I guess the main thing I'd hope to get out of social media would be, you know, probably the people not in ag to see that we're not just, just kind of the old, you know, overall learned farmers that don't really know nothing. You know, we're, we're actually good stewards mm-hmm. and we try to learn, we try to, take care of the ground better than you know than what they expect what they get from from the media these days you know farmers kind of get portrayed in a bad bad light for the most part um but as a whole you know farmers are really good people they're salt of the earth kind of people um and uh we're just trying to do to leave leave it better than what we got it in you know leave something for our children behind um you know i hope one day, one of my kids grew up and want to farm. Um, that uh, would be nice to have something leave it, leave for them to farm, and leave it better than what we got it in. You know, um, so I'd hope, I hope uh, social media could uh, help benefit somebody that might have a a negative light on the ag and see it in a positive, maybe. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. I like it. I like it a lot. Boone, you mentioned your kids there. Do they do they like to hop in the tractor with you and go for a drive? Yeah, they do. They do for a short period of time. But you know, nothing makes a kid more tired than riding on the tractor for a couple of rounds. I've got a a seven, five, and an almost three month old, and uh, they're uh, they all they all get on there and they're very sleepy in a short amount of time. So. I just, uh, my seven-year-old, I can't imagine turning him on one of these pieces of equipment these days, but it's a lot different than when I was uh, six and seven years old, too, so it's a lot bigger and a lot more techy. Um, but, yeah, they, my kids, uh, they, they love being on there sometimes, so. Right on. You know, that's that's something I can personally remember. Is I can actually remember the, at least the first time that I can honestly mentally remember riding on a tractor was when I was, I think, is four years old we had a an old 4250 with a bucket loader and uh dad was running one of the grain drills and i got to drive it across an old location well road and uh that's what started it all right there (laughs) but uh it's 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 great having kids on a tractor i'll 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 agree with you i I can't wait till my time comes uh let's move on to uh personal perspective you've, you've talked about the farm possibly uh downsizing just a hair so you can be more efficient because not every time is greater is better or bigger is better sometimes you can get get more 
out of a little less if you can uh, prioritize it right. But what does life look for you uh, 10 years from now, Boone? You know, I hope uh, I hope the commodities price is a little bit better situation. Um, <laughs> but I don't see a whole lot changing in, you know, the future. Um, you know, barring some just major change in farm policies or commodity prices, I think we're going to be mostly cotton. Um, I could see us getting back to growing a little bit of grain. Um not a whole lot though. It just uh, this is kind of cotton area. It it works a lot better than wheat. We've uh, we froze a lot of wheat crops out around here, and it seems to be hard to make one around here. We make can make some cotton crops every now and then. So I, I you know I don't see it changing a whole lot. Um, I'm sure something to come along and it, it'll look a lot different in ten years than it does right now. Um, you know, the last last 10 years, you look at it, and the technologies came so far. It's just a, a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Um, but it's still kind of going the same direction, you know, just uh, row crops and cotton. You know, we were kind of small cotton farmers back then. We kind of shifted our acres over to all cotton. So, uh, you know, something something could change again and be back to growing grains. But uh, I don't see it changing a whole lot. I guess. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I understand that. So y'all are the farm is primarily focused on cotton, and uh, I mean you're you're going to grow it, and it seems like y'all are probably doing a good job with it, even with uh, the prices as bad as they are right now. I'm sure that y'all will still be able to to get through it, and and that's what the thing is about American farmers is even in the in the worst times. I don't know if it's the worst time, but in a bad time, we still can. You know, he might cinch up your belt a little bit, but overall, you, you'll be okay. And that's yeah. just part of being the American farmer, that's for sure. Yeah, well, we always try to buckle down and figure the way out of it, you know, figure out what the best way to do it, because uh, farmer don't really want to look around for somebody to come bail them out. They want to get it down themselves. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Uh, Wade, you, you want to you wanna move on to the rapid-fire questions? Absolutely, Boone. Like like Dan mentioned off air, we got four questions for you. Um, kind of random. Looking at this this set of questions, in fact, they are very random. Um, so we're we ask you don't think too much about them. Just let us know what comes to mind. Uh, first question: If you're cooking supper for the wife and kids, uh, what are you cooking? I'm going to be cooking the uh, probably steaks and some green beans and maybe a little macaroni and cheese if she'll let me. I think she likes making the macaroni and cheese better than me, so. But uh, I'm gonna cook a steak on the steak on the grill. Sounds delicious. That's a pretty common answer when we ask people. Right on. <laughs> pretty much, and nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah. I know that I have to ask this just because I've seen some of the equipment y'all run, and I just got to know. But what's your favorite machine to run on the farm? You know, it's really tough. Uh, you know, if it came down to it, it's gonna be between a, a baler stripper. And a sprayer. Um, I like running the sprayer because I don't think there's a better scouting tool to be on than a sprayer because you get to see your crop from up high and you get to see a lot of acres. But there's also nothing more enjoyable than running a harvesting machine after you've you know worked all summer long with a crop to get to harvest it. And you know if it's a good crop, if it's a sorry crop, it kind of sucks. You know if if it's a good crop, so you know I'd probably have to pick a stripper um, just just because you get to reap what you worked on all summer long. so. Right on. 
Boone, this is probably the weirdest question we've ever asked anybody. I'm just to let you know. Um, <laughs> okay. Dan's Dan's reading right now. He'd probably agree. If you had a pet elephant, what would you name it? Oh. Leroy, and I don't ask me why, because I don't know. I think I'd be a good name for an elephant. Dan, what would you name your pet elephant? Well, that's such a hard question, because, wait, it's literally nothing I've ever thought about before, or ever really care to think about again. <laughs> I'm thinking Rufus. Rufus. Rufus sounds like a good name for for an elephant. What about you, Wade? Well, my my wife is in the room next next uh, next to me here, and she heard me ask this, so she she said Peanut would be the name of our elephant. <laughs> nah, that's that's too that's too normal though. But I'll, I'll respect your wife's wishes. There, we'll go for that. All right, uh, last question on my side, and I just I'm asking this, and if you don't really want to put it out on the on the whole entire interweb, that's fine. But What's your uh, favorite cotton variety to grow? You know, we've kind of flopped back and forth. We've had a, we've had phytogen and delta pine. It, it's just really hard for us not to want to plant delta pine. Um, and the 1646 variety just has it's produced more pounds than any other variety we've ever planted. Um, we've had some dry land make three bales the acre, and uh, which is ridiculous, really. Um, I. It shouldn't have made that much, but it did. Um, but it's it's hard not to want to plant it, I guess. Right on. And and for those who might not understand what he's saying, there is is what he means by three bale or whatever. That means per acre, the cotton is producing three of those. I'd say what five? T- no, five thousand pound cotton bales. Right? No, that's no. kind of the no. Uh, well, no? with the balers, it kind of gets you confused. Um, like a stripper like a beller out of a, a bell out of a stripper is like mm-hmm. three bells of cotton um i don't know if you ever seen the picture of like the little bundled up bells of cotton they put ties around them yeah and put them on front like what they put in the warehouse those around around they're supposed to be 500 pounds but they're normally about 480 85 pounds a piece so you know that's roughly three bell cottons what you're saying is basically 1500 pounds of lint to the acre um but um, okay. you know, with cotton, yeah, with cotton you have you know trash and seed and a and a uh, and your round bale. So like your round bale is going to mm-hmm. weigh five thousand pounds, but there's only going to be thirty to forty percent turnout of that's going to be cotton, actual lint, and then you know you right. have another another portion of that's going to be seed, another portion of that's going to be trash, getting trash, what they call that. Right. Okay. Well, I've I've never worked with a picker before, but I know I have. Uh, worked with two strippers before on on a cotton field, and uh, the weight <laughs> difference was, I guess, a little off. But uh, just yeah. had to try to explain that. But apparently, I didn't know as much as I thought there. Yeah, so yeah. my apologies, folks. Danny, those strippers have names. Uh, John Deere and John Deere. <laughs> so nice try, Wade. You're just trying to get me in trouble. <laughs> Boone, we, as, we, uh, as we start to wrap this one up, uh, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on social media? I'm over on Instagram at just Boone Miller. There's no anything with it. Uh, uh, I'm on Facebook, but I don't do a whole lot there. Uh, more Instagram than anything, I guess, anymore. 
but feel free to follow. And, uh, I'll try to start posting a few more pictures and stories. Folks, those links will be down in the, the notes below. Check them out on Instagram. Check the farm out on Facebook. Dan, close it out for us. Hi, Boone. I mean, I've we've Snapchatted for I don't know how long. Been uh, kind of trying to get to know you pretty well here lately. And one of these days, I, I really do plan on showing up at your farm, uh, <laughs> invited or not, you know. But, uh, <laughs> Boone, in, in wrapping up, uh, I want to thank you for coming on a show, that's for sure. Uh, I think you're you're a pretty cool guy, even for being an Okie. But uh, if you'd <laughs> like to finish out, <laughs> I had to bring that in. I'm sorry. I oh, I know, I know. But uh, I know. <laughs> but if you'd like, can you tell us or or tell the listeners uh, maybe some th- final thoughts about uh, where the commodity is right now and whether or not the American farmer can change that at all, or if we're just stuck with it. You know, uh, the American farmer is kind of on the short end of the stick as far as commodities go. Um, the world, you know, the world produces a lot of commodities outside of the U.S., and uh, it kind of puts us in the short end of the stick. Um, I think the American producers done a really good job at getting production up. We can make record yields, and, you know, whether planting cotton or somebody's planting corn or beans or wheat, you know, we can produce so much in a in a short period of time compared to what we could 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, supply and demand is a big part of what we're commodity prices are facing. Um, you know, I don't really want to get all political, but, you know, the trade and all this uh, with China and everything shouldn't have hurt. Um, but as far as commodity prices, you know, I think that's really out of the hands of the American farmer. I think there's too many, too many other, I don't know, um, too many other people that have interest in making a buck on the board uh, than the American farmer, and we're just kind of at their expense of growing crops um, for the most part. Right. You know, I agree. It's hard to it's hard to stomach having these kind of trade wars going on in the in the country right now. But you know, my personal opinion is is if we've if we've been able to hold off for for three to four years on on pretty crappy prices uh, in order for a better future for maybe not us right away, but Lord willing, our, our children, uh, you know, it's worth it. And there are farms that are going under, sadly, because of it, and I, I wish that didn't happen. It's it's tough to see uh, someone living the dream, literally living the American dream right there that it's just got to where it couldn't go, and, you know, it, it's tough. And so... I sure hope that change comes uh, sooner than later. And yeah, uh, that that's that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, yeah. I want to thank you for coming on our show. Uh, you seem like a real humble guy. You don't really like to share a whole lot uh, about uh, personal. Uh, I don't know. You just you seem like a real humble guy, and I appreciate that about you. Um, thanks for coming on our show. I've learned a lot from it. And uh, I really do love that planter y'all built. And uh, <laughs> well, people, if you aren't following Boone, yeah, I, I plan to. If you aren't following Boone, go do it. Uh, even if if he may not post all the time, anytime he posts, it's worth it. I, I promise you. Uh, Wade, do you want to finish up? Boone, thanks for hopping on with us. We enjoyed it. Dan, we'll visit with you next time. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Advocates. Be sure and check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages to see who we'll feature next. On behalf of Dan, I'm Wade. We'll see you next time.